when we went and designed the satellite, we redesigned it like many times after customer calls. And I think a lot of people, once they got that first venture dollar, they went with their first design, they got their spacecraft to space and all the customers are like, wait, we told you that we wanted X, Y, and Z. And a lot of those entrepreneurs are like, well, we gave you a satellite. It's like, yeah, but it's not solving my problem. This is DIV Innovators, the show that celebrates the brilliant minds behind the technology and innovations that keeps our country safe. Here's your host, Dave Graff, co-founder of Radical. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Gabe Dominicello, co-founder of Umbra, the company building next-generation space systems that observe the Earth in unprecedented fidelity. Gabe, thanks for chatting with me today. It is my pleasure. These are always a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, especially talking about awesome companies like yours and your background. So co-founding a space company, you know, to me, sounds like a monumental task. So what led you up to this? Can you share your background and how your upbringing prepared you to embark on this adventure? Well, I've always been an entrepreneur. I joke that I've never had like a real job, like for the boss. So I think that the answer is, is that I didn't know any better. So... <laughs> Perfect. And so can you talk a little bit about, you know, your schooling and then, you know, your previous endeavors before jumping into Umbra? Sure. I graduated college, I think around 2006 or seven. I went to a small school in California called Chico State, which is a very well-known party school. And then after that, I, with a friend, started a legal services company, which did class action coordination for plaintiff's lawsuits about as far away from space as you can get. But after 10 years, my very good friend, now co-founder, told me that he had an invention for a satellite that could see through clouds and see objects as small as a soda can. And it sounded like science fiction. And when I ran the numbers on the unit economics, specifically about the amount of pictures his satellite could take relative to others, it was an opportunity that just I had never seen before. So then we started a company. Very cool. This is your childhood friend. This is David. This is David Langan. Yes. Awesome. Not since high school. <laughs> I, it's unique. My uh, co-founder also, uh, we were high school friends and then found a way to circle back together and do the same thing. So it's unique because I'm sure you see, but you know, the trust you have to go through these challenging times. The trust is so important. I mean, we go so far back, you know, David is an aerospace engineer who spent 10 years before Umbra working on advanced space programs for the government. And as a non-technical person, you have to trust somebody who's like, oh, spend all of your money <laughs> and all of your time on this wacky idea that seems like science fiction. But, you know, David and I have only become closer and we solve problems with very different methodology, but we never disagree. Because I expect to disagree with them all the time, but we would never, ever disagree. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that is amazing and super important. I mean, startups are so hard. So, you know, I'm sure that's been a part of the key secret sauce to your success. Well, it's, I think we have the baseline of values and the baseline of what we believe. So it's like, it's like a good man, right? So like, there's not going to be any conflict on the outcome. Or it's like, I don't know, sell data to China. And it's like, well, we're not going to do that. We just never would. And we just have that baseline. Well, speaking of that, you know, selling data to China, you know, I think it's awesome, but can you talk a little bit? It sounds like you're patriots and, you know, what you're trying to do with that. 
Well, we we don't sell data or work with adversaries to the United States. We're really, really tight with the United States government. And then in some occasions, we do sell data to allies, like close allies, think five eyes. But there is no amount of money that exists that would make us want to do something that would piss off the United States government or endanger the people. Well, providing that capability set to both yeah, war I mean, fighters and just, yeah. Well, the capability we have isn't like building a better mousetrap. So our resolution and like the technology is so far advanced, anybody else in the market is just not something you want to export, even if it's commercial. It's not like selling a pencil. Yeah, it's very neat. Can you talk a little bit about, so you're sending satellites to space. Talk to us about the technology and what capability set you're actually bringing. The satellite itself is called synthetic aperture radar. So without boring your audience with what is radar imaging, radar sends out a pulse and we measure that pulse between Earth and the satellite. And through that pulse, we're able to generate an image. Radar is unique in that it can see through clouds because the vast majority of Earth where people are looking is cloudy. We can see, in quotes, at night, we can detect very, very small changes in the ground using interferometry. But the core to the technology is that we invented this radar using 1200 megahertz of bandwidth, which allows us to see very, very fine detail from extremely far away. So just the amount of data we can produce at very high quality is, is just, there's nothing else like it in the market. And how'd you guys find yourself in this position where, I mean, there's some big players in this space. They all told us we couldn't do it. <laughs> right. So how, how did you evolve to a place where you've got, you know, in the space, super expensive to a prepare something to go into space, get in space, operationalize that, and then have something that is leaps and bounds beyond any potential competitor to include some of the giants. I mean, it's not that expensive, relatively speaking, right? So you have a defense budget that's nearly a trillion dollars. You have defense primes that are spending billions of dollars. And I think that we have only ever raised maybe $120 million. But we got our first satellite to space for, I don't want to get the number wrong, but probably like $20 million. Wow. So it is a pretty linear bet to say, this thing is much better and everyone else is spending hundreds of millions of dollars on it. Why not just take a bet on 20 million on two guys who have this really neat radar they plugged in and works? Yeah, two guys. We were four guys in a shed. Sounds like you were two guys in a shed. <laughs> <laughs> a really clean shed, but yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, very similar. That's awesome. Well, I know, you know, through just looking into Umbra and your background, you are keen on unit economics as well as people. And so can you share as you've approached this, you know, endeavor of bringing this capability set to your customers, you know, how those have played into both your business model and, the, and you know, the outcomes you're bringing for those customers? I think what had plagued in kind of new space, so like the first wave of space companies was people were going very much technology first, where it's like, we have this widget, you should buy it because it's cheap. And I think the customers were kind of like, ah, it's cheap, but it's worse. And when you're dealing with life and death as we are, because you know, natural disasters or defense and intelligence, these are our, our customers, you really have to have something that is much, much better or wildly different. 
And I think that the cost makes it different because our cost is like single digit millions per unit. That cost allows you to fly satellites together. Our satellites are launched in pairs, which you probably could not do if you're spending a billion dollars on a satellite. And when we went and designed the satellite, we redesigned it like many times after customer calls. And I think a lot of people, once they got that first venture dollar, they went with their first design, they got their spacecraft to space, and all the customers are like, wait, we told you that we wanted X, Y, and Z. And a lot of those entrepreneurs are like, well, we gave you a satellite. It's like, yeah, but it's not solving my problem. And the, the unit economics thing really has to do with a venture return. So VCs, their product is an, an internal rate of return and ultimately, you know, a cash return. If you can't generate returns that beat the S&P, probably beat the S&P by a lot, those funds can't ever get new money to do new funds and make new investments. So from the very beginning, we said that the IRR had to definitely beat the S&P and, and be you know exponentially greater, which required us to build technology that allowed us to make more money. And I'm criticized a lot for saying kind of the quiet part out loud, which is you need to make money, which I don't know, seems like a silly thing to be criticized for, but... <laughs> I guess other entrepreneurs don't like it. They don't like that that is the company's purpose to make money or... They just, they don't like that I say it. So like a lot of these interviews, you'll have people completely focus on the big idea, right? Like we'll be able to see the earth breathe by counting all the trees and seeing what all the lakes do and blah, blah, blah. And kind of when I talk to people, it's like the unit cost of the satellite is X. They generate this much revenue and then you, you try and produce as much free cash flow as possible which is like, I guess, perceived as a little ugly. Hmm, that's interesting. So with your satellite, so like how many do you have in the air? And then what are you providing to the customers and who are those customers? So we have eight in space right now. We have two more going up in the next, I don't know, call it four to six months. The product we sell is a picture. So from the very beginning, I'll give you an anecdote. It is really difficult to get a satellite image. I remember when... One of the new BD guys started, we gave him a credit card and said, buy a satellite image. He couldn't do it. It's just, it's just really, really difficult. And think about it this way. If you are a huge aerospace conglomerate, you're not going to just sell one picture to a dude with a credit card. It doesn't really make a lot of sense because that amount of time, the lawyers and all that, you're better off getting some government to sign up. We thought about that very deliberately. And we realized that using software, you could give people direct access to the satellite. And we have a partnership with a company called SkyFi, and you can go onto SkyFi right now and get an Umbra image for a couple hundred bucks. You just That's make it cool. dead simple. And SkyFi is founded by an ex-Uber guy. So the user interface for our customers and for theirs is both like calling an Uber. This is very similar because you need to know when you're gonna get the image, where it's being taken, and uh, how long it will take to get it. How about a quick demo there, Gabe? So it proved that it is as easy as getting an Uber. So where is the golf course? Gun Barrel, Colorado, that should get you close. Okay. And then it's, from there it's south of, I'm trying to move your- Oh, here's a golf course. Yeah, that's it. And so like, yeah. Okay, it's yeah. gonna, okay. So all you do is you type in the name 
But you can see, like, these are all the collections over the next few days. So what's today? Tuesday? So Wednesday? Let's do it in Chicago time. Oh, Denver time. So... 8 p.m. 8.40. Oh. So we'll get it to... Okay, great. Schedule task. Done. It is that easy. That easy. Here is the image. You can download it here. Get the metadata, JSON. See the details. This is where everything came. And then it shows up with a nice little overlay. So here's the golf course. And start showing all the building forms. And then you can pull up the radar image right over. You can see the trees are reflecting funny here. Go look at the buildings. See the individual buildings. Sure. And then you have the map. And you can kind of go like this and see what the orthorectification is. Cool little image. Wow. What a capability to bring to the <laughs> average consumer, you know. So with that, how do you set that up? Are you doing geostationary satellites or are they, you know, like to get the orbit? So if I can go in and go, I want a picture of here, obviously that might be a problem that the satellite's not sitting over that space. Well, it's, there's an orbit. So we have eight satellites. There's a lot of satellites and we orbit the earth. Each unit orbits the earth 16 times a day. And our field of regard is very, very far. So our access to individual points on earth is fairly frequent. So, I mean, you probably get an image reasonably within a couple hours. Wow. What a capability to bring to the <laughs> average consumer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so with that, who are your big customers? You know, it sounds like you're working a lot with the Defense Department or in U.S. governments. Uh, what um, are they looking for? And how about other customers' sets? I'll answer it more broadly rather than talking about us specifically. So it is my belief that the market is cut up into three big segments, which is the United States government, which is probably half the commercial market. Then you have foreign governments, which is probably a quarter of the market. And then you have everything that you hear about, which is oil and natural gas, insurance, critical infrastructure. And the tiny, tiny ones are like hedge funds and, you know, the environment, making sure that there's no flooding or whatever. But the vast majority of, of sales is the United States government. So oftentimes in working with, you know, the Department of Defense or the U.S. government, heard a lot that they're, you know, and we've seen some of it challenging to uh, work through the acquisition system and you know, different pieces like that. How have you seen it working as part of the defense industrial base, working with the government? So I have a totally different view on this, which also is really not liked, which is I think the government does a great job of acquisition. And the reason for that is the government cannot make mistakes. So the best way to reduce the amount of mistakes is by forcing people to perform. And the way you force people to perform is over long periods of time. So if you have an expectation that you're just not going to get like whatever billions of dollars in your first year of operation, then it doesn't seem all that bad. So we've taken a very realistic approach because our team worked with the government for so long. So you, you know, you start small, you get a small study contract and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until your program of record. As a taxpayer, I think it's probably the best way to do it. But as a startup founder, would I like to have gotten billions of dollars <laughs> without doing any work? Yeah, that would have been great. I understand why they do it. That makes sense. And so in that you've brought in venture funding at some point. You know, have they been aligned with now the your go-to-market strategy and how you're bringing this and, you know, the returns you've been able to establish, you know, compared to what you initially shared of 
they wanted to keep that money out because of the returns. Are you finding those are starting to intersect? But we built the company in such a way that the IRR would be significant. So I think that the best thing that we did is that we went a really long time without taking venture funding. So the capital intensity and time to market was short, not super long. So had we not bootstrapped for two years, our IRR would have been cut by two years. So I think there's a bit of an, an advantage to our investors relative to others. But much like a business partner, investors are, is somebody that you've got to get along with for a really long time. And we said no to, I mean, there was a firm that very clearly had Chinese money that offered us so much money and a valuation that was insane. I mean, it wouldn't make me wildly rich. And we said no. And it was a really easy decision to make, but you have to have investors that are aligned. And our best known investor who's on our board is a gentleman by the name of John Burbank, where we have really strong alignment about what the future of the company is. And the future of the company is to support the United States government, support our customers. And it's going to be a long journey to continue to do that, but you just have to grow slowly. Well, grow fast, but grow, grow uh, reasonably and, you know, make more money than you spend. Yeah. Well, I applaud the, uh, you know, not taking the wrong money. That, that obviously is a huge step to your success, I'm sure. So, you know, a lot of companies, I imagine, you know, you're taking pictures, the access to data that you have is pretty significant. How do you look at data that you both get, share, like, do you work with the data or do you sell the data? So good question. I think that Umbra is unique in the sense that we are vertically integrating our satellite, you know, where we integrate our own solar panels. But the moment the image leaves the satellite, we stop looking at it. And the reason why, you know, other than compliance and make sure like no one's taking pictures of US trips or something. The reason why is we don't want to compete with our customers. So what we have observed in the market is if you go out for a lot of VC funding, so we are by far the least amount of VC funding out of any large, you know, operational satellite provider. If you go and raise money, you have to tell, if you raise a billion dollars, you have to tell a hundred billion dollar story. And that hundred billion dollar story is we're going to build the satellite. We're going to launch a satellite. We're going to have a proprietary data set that we run our own special AI, ML, whatever on it and get you the best answer ever. We looked at that and said, if we looked at what our customers were looking at and then had a competing product, it would piss off our customers. And another selfish reason was that if we had to compete with Google, Oracle, whoever on machine learning and AI engineers, our overhead would probably be double or triple. And, you know, for somebody like me making money, like making more money than you spend is really important. And I guess for others, it is not, and that's fine. Yeah. So who are, you know, from your big partners, so they're taking your data and that they're integrating it into their AI models and then doing the analytics behind it. And you're just sharing, they have the ability to get that data. Is that your partner model really? Yeah, and I mean, we have a Creative Commons license, so we sell a picture and you have a license to it. I think that that is that's a real revolution in the industry. If you buy a satellite image from another provider, not only do they like 
They control who gets to see it after you have purchased it. So if I take a satellite picture of my house, I sharing it with my mom would require a license modification. Whereas with Umbra, we don't do that. We're like, take the picture, we don't care. Show it to your mom. And I think that that's really different. So our customers are analytics providers. We have a very well-known partnership with a company called Maxar, which is a great partnership. They recently sold to Advent for $6 billion. And they're probably the, the biggest people in this space. Oh, pretty cool. So how do you mitigate that risk? You know, if you're not working, you want to take care of your customers and not let this information get necessarily to adversaries or folks that want to do harm. How do you manage that risk internally if you actually just give the license away and they can do whatever they want? Well, it's not a huge community, right? So it's like, there's, you probably have zero listeners who have purchased a synthetic aperture radar image. <laughs> and now that I think about it, I haven't bought a synthetic aperture radar image. <laughs> Mainly because I get them for free, but the community is really small and all the players are known. There is a process to be onboarded if you're bad or it's obviously, we're monitoring who is using our satellite. We just not ram shackle. We don't just let anyone task our satellite. So I can't go and do a star image of my golf course and say, hey, this is. If you want a star image of your golf course, text me the lot uh, long and I'll send it to you. But take if you, you wanted to do it, like there would be a process. We would just make sure you say who you are. Like we'd probably scan your passport and make sure that it's fine. And then we let you task. I don't care, but by a lot. Yeah, that's very cool. So, you know, IP and how you're going about this, you know, there's a lot of cyber threats out there. How do you handle the risk of cyber and keeping, you know, your proprietary? I mean, you obviously have built something that's very unique and that has great capability. How, how do you look at the risks associated with, you know, the increased cyber attacks and especially from our adversaries that have giant organizations uh, looking to exploit that? Well, as much as I would love to just tell everyone our cyber plan and how we defend against it, uh, generally speaking, you have a large group of people at the company who came from the government and who are very used to keeping information secure. Anywhere from the downlink of the satellite, which is like encrypted, to, you know, the real threats are like, is like a bozo clicking on a link. Like the vast majority of that is a problem. And the way you fix it is with training. So we have probably more security and compliance training than I would like, but it is useful because you, you have to realize that not everybody's our friend. And I think that there's a certain, like, we have badges, right? We have badges to, you know, get through the doors or whatever. We make everyone wear badges, not because we need to, but it's, so you have something around your neck that reminds you every minute that everything that you're working on needs to be safe and secure. There's a lot of psychology that we enforce on a day-to-day -day basis. That's great technique and perspective. Well, think about it. I mean, like if you are in DC working at, in some dark broom closet and you the leave- Pentagon. <laughs> <laughs> you leave with like your badge out, so your boss will yell, they're like, what the, what are you doing, you bozo? Like, hi, like, so it's that you just need to have a psychological mindset of security and you got to keep people like, I think that we are to the person worried, always worried about information. Yeah, that's great. And definitely a risk out there. So you're talking about people, you know, 
talk to me about your philosophy of bringing, you know, team members on board and, you know, how important it is to have the right people on the bus, if you will, as you're built this team and, you know, where you are with that now. Well, so high performers and low performers don't like each other, right? Low performers don't like the high performers because they work really hard and the high performers don't like low performers because they, you know, they don't work very hard. So if you don't have a group, an organization filled with really high performers, you're going to have a major cultural issue. So we have these guiding principles on our website. It's on our careers page. It's on the first page. And it's not like made up. I think you see a lot of companies where they copy paste whichever one they saw or seemed cool or read about, like Coinbase as a very popular one. Every single one on our website is an anecdote. And there's a story behind why we put it together. And remember, David and I have very different brains. So when we write something together, I write it very much in a very like overly communicating way. It's like why we're talking and he's not. And he writes in a very clinical way, like almost like you're reading a rule book versus, I don't know, having a conversation. Philosophy book or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a total philosopher and, and he's like very linear. So to have us put together a document is like very time intensive. And not only we put together, I think a great document, it's very short and very simple, but it, it has to do with the kind of people we want to work with. And I essentially want all the engineers to be like David and he wants all the VD people to be like me. And that's a major part of our hiring. So of course you're going to have this, can you turn the screw on the satellite? But the other part is like, do I want to like spend it nine, 10 hours a day with you for years? And the answer for a lot of people is no, I don't. So we do a process with every employee and it is a reverse interview. So every candidate before they are hired interviews me, which is why I do these without needing to prep. <laughs> right. <laughs> interviews me on the company and on the culture. And it's not for Umbra, it's for them. So you want people to come to the company who are excited about our philosophies, ideas, and objectives. Because if they know that they'll be happy in that environment, then you're going to have strong alignment. Yeah, I like, like that approach. Do you have them meet then with the entire team, you know, members from all different segments of the team? So each department has its own process, but the one thing that is consistent is a telephone call with me. Okay. Very cool. So from a, you mentioned principles, can you share, you know, one of your principles that you think anecdotally has a cool story behind it? Just, you know, share with the listeners of, you know how you approach, you know, outlining what's important to Umbra. So I think that, you know, we have this like mission driven or it's like we, where we don't want to be distracted by things that aren't in line with our mission or uh, first principles, which is really important. So first principles you hear a lot as an anecdote. And I think it's because SpaceX, Elon Musk is so popular and everyone knows who he is. Like, and I think that you see a lot of people with first principles on their website or saying it's important to them. But first principles actually is very important to us in that no one knows what they're doing. Like this has never been done before. <laughs> so going back down to the physics to understand a problem and fix that problem is really important. And out of first principles, you need to have character traits like no arrogance. So do we hate know-it-alls? 
people will come in and like, well, I, you know, I did X, Y, Z important mission. I know everything. And it's like, well, you don't like no one knows this. And I think that that David and I go into any conversation or anything saying like, this is our hypothesis. We believe this to be true, but we could be wrong. And it's okay if we are. So first principles has these like layers of importance and like how good they are. Like we also have like take big bets, which comes out of first principles. Like, yes, the physics work here, but will the people or will whatever work as a part of that? And it's like, well, we don't know, but it's worth the bet. Oh, that's important. Uh, it's a great way to approach it. So markets have obviously, you know, rewarded companies for growth that's scaled back. Now it's more about profit. As you continue on, do you see yourself going more into a growth mindset or is this irrelevant of the markets? This is your, you know, how you're tackling your business. Market could do, I, I don't care what the market does. It is the, what I care about is building a great company. So when the markets were hyper growth and hire everybody and grow, 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 buy revenue, whatever it is, we said no. Like our team is really small. So we've raised the least amount of money. We probably have the least amount of people. We have like maybe somewhere between 130 and 150 people. It's pretty small for a satellite company, but we have overhead that, so like if there's a change in the market, the company isn't collapse, like won't collapse. I think a lot was lost during those kind of hype years on building a great company and what that means. The way that you build a great company is to have independence for markets. Right. How, how did, just out of curiosity, you know, during the COVID time, you know, it seemed like by back up the time frame, pretty critical time for you guys. How did that impact? Were you hit by supply chain problems or anything or was that? So we launched during COVID. So because the supply chain is such that if you buy a part, you don't get it for like a year. It's certainly for us at that time. And now it's gotten much better, but that's how it was normally. So we had all the parts to the first two satellites when COVID hit. So we were able to, you know, go like you would go into the clean room to do it and everyone's in, like wearing a mask, right? So it's like, it wasn't a huge shift, but I mean, it wasn't fun. Like there's, we also did a fundraise in the middle. We did a fundraise like at the very beginning of the pandemic, April. <laughs> And I mean, I was just watching the stock market go down a thousand points a day. <laughs> it's just like, you know, we believed in what we we're building and, and I think investors did too. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, what recommendations would you give for if you have entrepreneurs or folks that want to, you know, embark on a challenge like this, what, you know, what recommendations would you give them lessons learned in this process? Well, you know, one thing that I always go with is make mistakes, but make them short. And that can go not just business and that in your personal life and everything. Like it's good to learn. So like a really great way to learn is through making mistakes, but you should learn your lesson quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So earth observability, uh, do you, are you going to remain in that space? Is that, or do you have other pivots that you're going to, uh, incorporate into your company or is that you're so, just going to keep doing what you're doing, make it more efficient? I think we grow, right? So we have developed a lot of technology that I think would be useful in other areas. So not just earth observation. Let's say we have generated very unique intellectual property around a random thing, deployment of a solar panel, whatever, an actuator. I think it is reasonable if the margins are such that we could generate venture return to sell things, 
our intellectual property that is not core to the business. But we've built a really incredible capability in terms of building satellites. Like you see a lot of these companies win big contracts that have launched far fewer satellites than us. So I think that it's definitely our freshman year and I'll see what happens. But I mean, I always say like, if I could get the same margin selling Nikes, I would sell Nikes. But do you have any uh, fast followers that are, you know, on your heels that are marched in the same direction with, that you are? I would not. I don't think anyone is stupid enough to try. And I would not wish starting a synthetic aperture radar account on my worst enemy. <laughs> it is really, really hard. What was the hardest part of it? Was it just the technology or the... It's, so you pick your... Is it the technology? Is it the people? Is it the market? Is it whatever? It's like, would you rather be shot or poisoned? It's all hard, right? So in terms of like new entrants, if you had to compete with us, which I like, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want anyone to like burn the money competing with us because we produce, you know, 10 X the amount of data as like some of the really big providers, like entrenched people. So you would have to raise enough money once you, you have figured out the technology and literally billions of dollars has been bet against us on things like the bandwidth. Like we're the only ones with 1200 megahertz, which is like operational and running. So you have to figure out the technology, probably cost at least like a hundred million dollars, at least. And then you would have to match our constellation and then you would have to match our pricing. So we charge about one tenth as much the list price of a large legacy aerospace provider for a hundred percent better product, meaning they charge $7,500 for a one meter image, like a one meter pixel, or a yard for us Americans. And we charge $750 for a 50 centimeter pixel. So it is- What is that for us Americans? Like a foot and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, that is really savage. So I'd be really interested to see the technology that would be competitive against us. It'd be really interesting. But it's just not there. And also I would do it. Right. Like if there was something like we have enough money that like, so if there was something that was really, really interesting that it could improve our unit economics, we would do it, which we are. I and mean, we're doing a lot of internal development now where it's like bigger antenna, more bandwidth, a lot of things where kind of, we, we have a unit that essentially tries to disrupt ourselves. That's awesome. So you have, you know, from an innovation standpoint, is that where you see is just continuing to, you know drive down, you know, the pixelation, if you will, the size of that or the band, are those where the innovations are coming within your company, you believe, or is it just? The innovation is in weird stuff. So what I mean by that is flying many satellites together to be able to get products that are probably not available. So is it higher resolution? Yes. It, that goes back to being much, much better. And we have to be much, much better than ourselves probably in year and a half increments. So like essentially like we're launching nine and 10 and I'm seeing the satellites for 11 and 12, 11 and 12 make satellites one through five completely obsolete. Like a single of the new version of the satellite is better than five of the first version. Wow. And I mean that in terms of like points per day, amount of money that can be generated. So if I spend a couple million dollars and can generate five times the amount of money. That's positive. 
And so where do you see, where do you see Umbra in, you know, three to five years? What does the company look like? I don't know. If you would ask me where I saw us last year, I don't think we'd be as far ahead as we are now. I mean, I think that a big thing for us was the partnership agreement with Maxar, right? So you have Maxar, which is a great partner, which is well-established in the market, and they're able to sell our data. So their sales team is like maybe double or three times the size of our entire company. So it's like, that's been a big accelerator. And then a lot of the allied resellers we work with is a huge advantage. And with a huge advantage like that, you get so much, you can generate so much revenue that I think that it would be really interesting to, to see where it comes out. Cause what do you like? Maybe, maybe it's selling Nikes. Maybe we figure out a way to do it cheaper. World space. Yeah. I guess for NFTs. <laughs> Hey, you don't ever know, right? You know, yeah, great margins. Make it an NFT and call it good. Great margins. Let's do it together. We'll take a picture of golf course and make it an NFT. Yeah, that and, would be awesome. Uh, well, Gabe, I mean, super interesting. I really, you know, applaud and admire your approach to combining your skill set and capability and, you know, breaking down these problems very differently than I think a lot of companies, especially in space. I mean, it's such a challenging market to break into and hearing your story of how quickly and efficiently you were able to do that is pretty awesome. And so really appreciate you sharing. I, I think we're running out of time today, but if people want to learn more about Umbra or want to buy one of your pictures, can you tell them how they might be able to do that? Umbraspace.com uh, or Umbra.space. Check it out. It's cool. It's for the casual user. Maybe you don't want a black and white image of a golf course, but I'll happily sell you one. <laughs> Well, I just want to know when you're getting them down to like $75 and I can, you know, like I my house, I can give a picture. <laughs> I'll give it to you for free. But it's the, the idea is like, if we really want to expand, if we really want to grow the market, we do have to reduce the price. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's very expensive. Yeah. Well, super exciting. Well, thank you, Gabe, again. And uh, let's keep in touch. Of course. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of DIB Innovators brought to you by Radical. For the latest episodes, search DIB Innovators on your podcast platform of choice or visit us at Radical.com, R-A-D-I-C-L.com.